Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Well, our regular listeners this week will recognize the voice of my frequent co-host, Dr. Jeff Barrows, who serves us at CMDA as our Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy. He had a recent great conversation with Dr. Jeff Keenan, who's the president and founder of the National Embryo Donation Center located in Knoxville, Tennessee. And you're going to hear us call that entity NEDC today. If you're not familiar with the NEDC, their mission is to protect the lives and dignity of human embryos. And they do that by promoting, facilitating, and educating all about embryo donation as well as adoption. They're also the only clinic-based organization that works with families of all races and all faiths, as well as ethnic backgrounds. CMDA, well, it just happened to be instrumental in forming the NEDC back in the early 2000s, and it's incredible to hear how far this organization has come since that time. I wanna encourage you to keep listening to hear more from Dr. Keenan all about the NEDC and to learn how you can get involved. Well, this is Dr. Jeff Barrows, and I'm honored to be joined today by Dr. Jeff Keenan. Dr. Keenan is a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility expert. He is also a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Tennessee Medical Center in Knoxville. Dr. Keenan is founder, president, and medical director of the National Embryo Donation Center in Knoxville, Tennessee. He is a husband of 37 years, father of four children, and grandfather of six grandchildren. He is also a longtime CMDA member and advocate. So I'm honored to welcome to CMDA Matters today, Dr. Jeff Keenan. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's begin the conversation, Dr. Keenan, by having you just tell us briefly how you got involved in this one-of-a-kind center that rescues from possible destruction frozen human embryos that are unable to be used by their genetic parents. You know, I guess the short answer would be that it was a God thing. But to go into more detail than that, I have been doing reproductive endocrinology for 33 years. And, Jeff, we we all started as embryos, right? And Mm -hmm. so realizing that, how could you destroy a human embryo? Because... uh, I'm sure we're both glad that uh, someone didn't destroy us as embryos. So that's something that I never did in my practice, uh, never would agree to doing. So uh, the only option if a couple can't or won't use their uh, remaining embryos is to donate them to another couple. So I had done a limited amount of that in my practice and had spoken to uh, Dr. Steve Stevens about that on a couple of occasions. So um, moving on a little bit further down the line, he called me, I think it was 1999, and said, hey, Jeff, what do you, what would you think about the possibility of starting a national center where you could donate embryos to couples who can't have children and where you could receive embryos from couples who can't or don't plan to use their own? So uh, really, Dave, you know, I guess had that 
intuition from the from the Holy Spirit and mm. called me about it. And um, it, you know, it sounded uh, like a good idea. Uh, the rest is history. So his call to you was in 1999. How long did it take from that point for you to to start the National Embryo Donation Center? About four years. Um, there was actually quite a lot involved with it for a number of reasons. I mean, not only getting the office space to do it, but the staff, the embryologists, mm-hmm. getting 501c3 status, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that we would be in compliance with all the FDA and state rules and regulations. And doing that at the same time as running a, a busy medical practice. So it takes some time. It also um, allowed God to just uh, slowly sort things out because at that time and where I was, I really could not have done that. And uh, then over the next uh, couple of years, uh, several circumstances came about, just allowed it all to come together. So we did our first transfer about four years later. So I understand that God has blessed your efforts in many ways. Among them is that since you began roughly 2003, 2004, you've added a partner, Dr. David Gordon. So my question, Jeff, is how many babies since that time have you and your partner rescued by matching them with a mother to carry them to term and then be their mom and then hopefully a, a father as well to be a critical process in, in raising that child. We have accepted over 2,600 sets of embryos mm-hmm. from clinics all over the country. And then we've had couples come to us to receive donated embryos from every state in the United States as well as about six other countries. So, in fact, uh, we're, we're currently getting uh, several patients uh, who uh, know each other from Chile uh, coming in for their visits. So uh, people are willing to travel for this because it's not something that is widespread. It's very difficult to do, and yet it has very high success rate and a very low cost. So we've had over 1,400 births. Mm. And as far as how many embryos we've transferred, I don't have that exact number, but I think you're right in calling it a rescue of these embryos, and we certainly look at it as a rescue mission. And so even if an embryo isn't destined to become fully human or to be born, I think you can still claim that you're rescuing them just by taking them out of cryopreservation and putting them into uh, a mother. Absolutely. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. So I'm sure through the years, Jeff, you've had many stories that you can think of, but uh, just take a few minutes to tell us one of your favorite stories of a couple who adopted through your clinic and then the impact that giving life to that baby had on their family. Wow, yeah. We have been blessed to work so many wonderful, wonderful couples, and many of them are just incredible Christian couples. So, you know, there certainly would be many stories, but... One particular one uh, that I recall, and I and I believe her husband was a CMDA member, came to us many years ago, and uh, we have an age cutoff. Uh, we won't do an embryo transfer on a 50 or 60-year-old woman, but we mm-hmm. will do one on a 45-year-old woman. And um, this uh, woman, this patient, came to us after having adopted uh, six or seven, I guess seven other children. Uh, this couple had adopted these children from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so her family looked like a 
you know, just a small a gathering of the United Nations. And they all played different classical instruments. And so they had their, their own little, little uh, symphony orchestra wow. and their family. And so they were, were a remarkable family. But she came and said, Dr. Keenan, I, I have been blessed with all these incredible children. He said, but I've always felt unfulfilled in that I've never experienced pregnancy or birth. And I would just love to do that. And so I'd love to adopt an embryo. So she started through the process and conceived at first, and she was running up against her 46th birthday. Mm-hmm. We did her transfer, I think, the day before her, her 46th uh, birthday, and that was the last transfer she'd be able to have. And she did, in fact, conceive and delivered a healthy child. So that was just a wonderful experience uh, for us and, and uh, you know, such a blessing to work with uh, a wonderful family like that and help her fulfill her dreams. And uh, we have many more like it. I couldn't ask for a better job. Yeah, I can't imagine anything more fulfilling than rescuing unborn children, uh, embryos in that very early stage of life. So, uh, and I, I imagine that there are many of our members now listening to this uh, that may have been peripherally aware that this happens around the country, uh, but maybe not intimately uh, aware of what's involved. So for our members who may have patients who might be interested in experiencing and participating in embryo adoption, what are the logistics? What are the requirements? You've talked a little bit about the process. Do you interview these couples virtually? Do they need to come in for testing prior to implantation? What are the criteria that you have for these prospective couples? Well, we have both uh, social and medical criteria. And the social criteria are kind of a combination of biblical principles and tried and true principles from the traditional adoption world that the couples have been married for minimum three years and that they're free uh, from any uh, substance uh, addiction or use or abuse and that they have passed a home study, including an FBI background check. So as far as the biblical requirements, really just that they're a married couple, a married heterosexual couple. So the medical requirements are different, but pretty much what you'd expect, uh, that the mother would have her transfer before her 46th birthday, that she and uh, the father would not have any serious medical illnesses or diseases that would make it unlikely that they're not going to survive while that child has at least gone through high school. And then, of course, that she have a normal physical exam and other testing indicating that her uterus will be receptive to this uh, embryo or embryos that we transfer. She'll be able to have a relatively uncomplicated pregnancy and give birth, and that the pregnancy won't endanger her health in any other way. So, in essence, a normal uterine uh, cavity uh, and no other abnormality such as um, diabetes or high blood pressure. Do you allow uh, couples that uh, where the, the wife has is struggling with maybe a little bit of hypertension uh, to engage in embryo adoption? Yeah, we sure do. And, you know, we're, we're, we try to be as flexible as we can on this, but a woman who has hypertension has to have it under at least 
fairly good control uh, because that's dangerous to her if she gets pregnant and that isn't the case. A woman with diabetes has to have her diabetes under relatively good control. Otherwise, she's more likely to have problems and complications and mm -hmm. the baby is significantly more likely to have birth defects. So mm -hmm. those are just two examples, but uh, there are many others. And it's true that most of the time, even if we find a problem on the woman's history or exam or testing, we can work with them and get them through the process. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that the National Embryo Donation Center was one of the early centers in the country uh, to begin doing embryo adoptions, but uh, have other in vitro centers around the country taken up the practice as well? And if so, do you have any idea how many other centers are doing this? That number varies really from year to year, and there's a lot of um, agglomeration happening in the fertility industry. So some clinics are merged or bought out by conglomerates, and uh, that conglomerate may or may not want to pursue embryo adoption in their clinics. So it changes enough that you couldn't give an exact number. Certainly well over 100 clinics in the United States will perform embryo adoption and um, have at least a few embryos that have been donated by their own couples. Now, these are, are clinics that will adopt out embryos from other patients that they have. So there are no other medical clinics that are doing embryo adoption in the way we are, where we get them in from all over the country, and then have our affiliated clinic do the transfer. And I'm sure that many of those do not have the social restrictions that you do in terms of a married couple, a married man and a woman, uh, married at least three years, and the other things that you were saying earlier. I'm sure many of those are are wide open in terms of criteria to that would allow them to adopt that in embryo. Yes, most the vast majority of them are, Jeff. Yeah, that's a whole whole nother matter. But uh, I wanted to get into the issue of commercial surrogacy just for a moment. Tell us a little bit more about. Is it flourishing, and why is that happening? And what do you and, and Dr. Gordon think should be done to combat this, what I would call nothing less than human trafficking? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Good question, Jeff, and I wish I had some equally good answers or at least some practical answers or things that you could really expect to happen. But surrogacy is practiced in many, many countries around the world, but it's not legal everywhere. And it's not legal, for example, in the European Union. Hmm. It's not legal in certain parts of Canada. It's not legal in certain states in the United States. If there is no regulations or laws restricting it, then it, it can and will be practiced. It is unfortunate that women are essentially coerced for monetary reasons into becoming a surrogate. And that's the sad state of the world we live in, I suppose. India, for example, is having a real problem with this, and India has started to really restrict that because uh, companies were going to India to get uh, women, these surrogates, and these women who are relatively poor and destitute are going to do anything they need to do in order to survive. So it really is taking advantage of a, of a woman who's in a fault situation. 
um, things that we could do to restrict it are difficult. And one of the reasons is because the LGBTQ lobby is so strong. So needless to say, a male couple not have a child mm-hmm. uh, without a surrogate. So if you outlawed surrogacy, you'd have that entire lobby screaming in your face and mm. raising canes. So I just think practically in the United States, you'd have to have some politicians with some real guts in order to get something like that passed. And frankly, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, especially with the current political environment that we're in, the current administration. And so uh, it makes a lot of sense that there, and I can imagine what states uh, have this as being legal. I'm sure California is one of those, among yes. others. Uh, so uh, now that you explain it that way, that makes a lot more sense that it's really a, a huge, quote, benefit for uh, gay couples and their ability to have children. But I think that fits in real well with the next question, because I want to get back to your work at the National Embryo Donation Center. How do you see that your work fits into the big scheme of things? In other words, God's plan for our nation and for the world itself. Well, yes, I could mention a few things. I mean, as I mentioned, a lot of our couples are just wonderful Christian couples that just have this heart for life and be able to help those couples obey our command to be fruitful and multiply and multiply is just a real blessing. So mm-hmm. I think the more good Christian couples and families we get in into the world, the better. And so I think that is part of the plan. And I don't want to minimize that because, uh, you know, a few voices can make a big difference. I think that's one thing. I think another thing is that so many of these couples are really struggling with what to do with their remaining embryos. And they, for whatever reason, can't or feel that they are unable to use them. And yet they know that they're the siblings of their own children in most cases. And so the NEDC gives them option, third option, and um, they didn't have that before. Mm -hmm. Similarly, many of our couples have uh, come to us and really could not conceive in any other way. Uh, Many of them, there are no sperm or no eggs or both. There are genetic problems that would preclude it, or maybe they've tried, you know, multiple other fertility treatments, including IVF cycles without success. Yet, most of these couples can and do have children. So, I think it gives hope, gives uh, hope to these people. And then finally, I think, you know, even for those couples that aren't uh, Christian, and, and certainly we don't have a, a faith requirement to, to be a patient of the NEDC, but it still allows us a chance to witness to them and let them know why we're doing this, why we're here. Some couples, uh, you know, that aren't even Christian want us to pray uh, mm-hmm. with them or for them before the transfer. So I think that's important to us and important to them and allows us to have a further impact. You know, I, I don't know how often you think of this, but again, going back to the number you gave us at the beginning of the podcast, uh, 1,500 embryos that you have rescued. And I know that this is a, a small number because my understanding that if you 
look at the total number of frozen embryos within the United States, isn't it somewhere near a million now? It's probably closer to a million, million and a half. Yeah. Say easily, it's a million and a half. Yeah. Well, that that really gets to my my last question, and and that is, uh, there there are all kinds of current and potential problems with the whole issue of ART in the United States uh, and uh, assisted reproductive technology. So, uh, and that's just one of them that that we have this huge number of frozen kind of in limbo embryos. What, what are some of the other problems that you see as a, a reproductive endocrinologist yourself? I was hoping you'd ask that, Jeff, because the ART industry in the United States is almost completely unregulated. Basically, you know, it's have lab, we'll do procedures and we'll do whatever you want and we'll do whatever we want. And there's very little keeping laboratories from practicing unethical IVF and in some cases even illegal IVF. But fortunately, those are few and far between. But still, there's a lot of unethical practices, in my opinion, uh, going on. For example, most clinics do not talk to their couples about how many oocytes they want to try to inseminate. And the implications of, for example, inseminating 15 oocytes and maybe getting and embryos and a couple who maybe wants to have only one more child. So that, as you imagine, is is a recipe for Caldy and that couple later on who's almost surely going to have a good number of remaining embryos. As wonderful it is to be altruistic and to donate them, it's still a hard decision. A hard decision for a couple to give up embryos that they know, again, are their genetic siblings of their children. So clinics across the country almost through fail to discuss this. Also fail to discuss that we can now very effectively freeze oocytes and have good pregnancy rates with, with frozen eggs. Frozen eggs are just like frozen sperm. If you don't use them, you can discard them. Uh, you know, women release an egg every month, and in general, they're not going to result in a pregnancy. So there's no intrinsic value necessarily to an egg uh, other than the, the potential it has uh, uh, to create a new human. Implantation uh, genetic testing is also a big problem, Jeff. What clinics don't tell their couples is that probably between 20 and 40 percent of embryos that are biopsied for this process are damaged irreparably by the biopsy process. Okay, and So for a couple who doesn't expect life beginning at inception, or fertilization, they may think that's no big deal. What if that couple only has one embryo that is genetically normal and has a chance of implanting, and that embryo is damaged beyond repair by the biopsy process, then you have just cost that patient her only chance Mm -hmm. for conception. And again, this is not talked about in IVF clinics, and it's a difficult Topic. It is a difficult topic, and it's a little bit controversial, but not very. So, you know, we're always working to mention this to uh, encourage couples, you know, talk to your doctor. Do you really want to inseminate all the eggs? What if you get 15 eggs? What if you get 20 or 30 eggs? That certainly happens. 
you know, how, what's your age? What are the chances of each of these embryos being viable? How many children do you want to have? Um, are you comfortable donating or in other cases, are you comfortable destroying these embryos? And so those are all conversations that should be had that in general are not. Well, Jeff, I think that is critical information. And it sounds like from listening to you now that for the average couple that is dealing with infertility and even thinking about taking the next step to in vitro fertilization, that it's it's almost the Wild West out there, that they uh, may go to a, an uh, in vitro clinic that's near their home or in the city where they're living, but they don't have any clue as to the type of providers they're going to be dealing with, the, the background, the ethical uh, nature of those healthcare professionals, uh, whether or not they value life beginning at, uh, at fertilization. Uh, so it's, it seems like that there's a lot of questions that that Christian couple should be prepared to ask these infertility specialists before they go down the road of in vitro fertilization. I agree completely, Jeff. And I, and I sure don't want to imply that there are, there are a lot of bad REI docs. I mean, the REI profession is an excellent group. We're very good at what we do, uh, have good success rates, and help a lot of patients tremendously. But we'll first, do no harm, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to all frame it within the context of the patient, especially, is comfortable with. And if the patient is not comfortable with destroying embryos, then I think that should, you know, why isn't that the first part of the discussion? Because they're going to have to make a decision on this. And so, you know, this is a, a kind of a, a counseling issue. You know, a lot of um, clinics, they do not have the same Christian perspective that life begins at conception. And so, in a sense, you can't blame them. They just feel like, ah, it's just cells. Then you can't blame them for thinking, okay, well, just throw them away if you don't want them. But those of us who share the Christian view of life beginning at fertilization, you know, would be gassed at that. Mm-hmm. It's an entirely different worldview. So I just want to thank you for the godly example that you and your team are providing for uh, caring for the least among us. And, and thank you as well for taking the time to join us today on CMDA Matters. Well, Jeff, thanks very much. And Certainly, we welcome all the prayers we can get and uh, happy to uh, help out or communicate with anyone, any of the members at any time. Very good. Well, thank you again for being with us today. Thank you, Jeff. Well, the title of our program today is Rescuing Babies at the NEDC. And it's hard to believe the growing number of babies and embryos who've been rescued through the NEDC since it was formed more than 20 years ago. If you visit their website, they actually have a baby counter that gives you an up-to-date number of babies born through their clinic. What an incredible blessing to see that number continue to rise, reaching almost 1,500 babies today. You can find more information about Dr. Keenan and the NEDC at embryodonation.org. And on their website, you can also find a few books that they recommend, including the book, The Greatest Gift, An Embryo Adoption Story. And that story was written by an NEDC embryo adoption mom herself. 
Did you know that CMDA Matters is just one part of the growing family of CMDA podcast? If you enjoy listening to CMDA Matters, then we hope you will visit cmda.org slash podcast to check out our others, including the Student Pulse podcast, Dental Sound Bites, The Voice of Advocacy, and more. You know, if you enjoyed listening to Dr. Barrows on this week's episode, then I hope you'll take a few minutes to check out the newest addition to that lineup of CMDA podcasts that Jamie told us about. And it's called The Voice of Advocacy. This new monthly podcast is hosted by Dr. Barrows himself, and it will feature members of our advocacy team as well as many different special guests. The first episode is now out, so I hope that you'll listen and learn more about CMDA's grassroots advocacy efforts at both the state and federal levels, as well as legal and legislative victories that we've experienced. Also, how you can be involved in serving as a voice for the vulnerable. To listen to the latest episode, just visit cmda.org slash advocacy. The 2024 CMDA National Convention will be here before you know it. Have you reserved your spot yet? We're joining together at the Ridgecrest Conference Center just outside Asheville, North Carolina on May 2nd through 5th, 2024. This is your opportunity to fellowship and worship with other Christians in healthcare as we raise His banner together. Our speakers at this premier event include evangelist Will Graham, the grandson of Billy Graham, human rights lawyer Ashley Chapman, Pastor Tony Evans, physician and ethicist Dr. Lydia Dugdale, and more. To reserve your spot at this year's convention, visit natcon.cmda.org. Looking forward to next Thursday, I will be joined in the studio by Pastor Burt Jones for a great interview with Dr. Amy Starr, who's a pediatrician from Tyler, Texas. I had the wonderful opportunity to be hosted by Dr. Starr last fall during our Thrive Tour, and I knew after meeting her that we had to get her on the podcast to talk about the ministry work that she does in her local area to create community among Christians in healthcare. So be sure to tune in and you'll hear more from Amy next week. Well, let me close with these two verses from what I believe is the most powerful pro-life section of scripture in all of the Bible, Psalm 139. And I'll quote that from the New Living Translation. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Well, Dr. Keenan shared with us some prayer requests at the end of the interview. So let's be interceding on his behalf and for his partner, Dr. David Gordon, as well as all the patients and their families 
at the NEDC there in Knoxville this week. They're doing incredible work rescuing these precious babies whom the Lord created and he knows while they're even still in the womb. Dr. Keenan is a wonderful exemplar of our vision here at CMDA, which you hear me talk about every week. Through his work at the NEDC, he's bringing the hope and the healing of Christ to our world. That's what matters to CMDA friends, and CMDA matters. We'll see you next week, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.